Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels part 40. Last week we continued our path through the Sermon on the Mount, and Rabbi Jesus taught us last week about how to pray, specifically about what a team prayer of being on team Jesus looks like that (laughs) that continues that narrative of forsaking your own personal rights in order to promote the rights and the will of God and his kingdom and letting it be an intimate thing, not a public display, putting on a show or putting on an act, uh, almost keeping people in wonder whether you're praying or not so that uh, by your internal your heart aspect of your prayer life it can result in how you live and how you act and how you treat how you treat your fellow neighbor and then we ended off on a very tough passage about the measure for measure aspect with forgiveness because the prayer ended about not only asking god for forgiveness but seeing that that is directly related to how we forgive our neighbor and I mean, yeah. super disturbing, super convicting. Like if you if you weren't, I, I don't know how to help you. But thinking about that measure for measure, if if you're not having a a bent towards forgiveness with your fellow neighbor, how God is going to return that measure in the same manner? That's that's tough stuff. Yeah. And now we're gonna keep keep along the the challenging <laughs> things today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was tough because he says, if you do not forgive. Neither will your father forgive you. Ouch. Can't really spell that out any other way. Yeah, yeah. Wiggle out of that one. Go ahead. I'm watching. <laughs> that's that's rough. So yeah, he does that and then he he's gonna continue. Uh and uh, well, we may as well just read it. That's gonna be better than me telling you about it. So here it goes. Uh we're in Matthew chapter six, verse sixteen through eighteen. And he says this. And When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay. So, what you don't know yet, because we've only read this little bit, is, well, I I guess we've already mentioned it. When we were back with uh, practicing righteousness, which they sort of, what's the word, summarized as charity, I guess we could say. So, that was first, the idea of giving, That was followed by prayer. We went through the Lord's Prayer, right? That was a good part. And now the final thing here is fasting. And just to repeat, this is the exact same principle. The principle being, you know what? This is something you need to keep between you and God. And I'd also like to point this out, Samuel. Does it say, and if you fast, 
No, it makes it almost like an expectation that you're supposed to. Yeah. When you fast. It's very important to see. But now we have these three things. We'll talk a little more about that. Uh, this fasting, it's, uh, remember we, we, I had mentioned there's going to be a group of three. Jesus groups three things together. It turns out now we know them, charity, prayer, and fasting. And, uh, you know, th- this isn't in the text. It's not very explicit, but it is very interesting. There are a lot of commentators who relate this group of three items back to very famous scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Samuel, you know what? Why don't you read that? Sure. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Yeah. And so what these commentators, scholars, whoever they are, people uh, across history have said is that when, when Jesus is talking about charity, that relates to with all your heart. When he's talking about prayer, that's relating to with all your soul. And when he's talking about fasting here, uh, that relates to with all your might. Now, you can take that or leave it. It's up to you. I don't, you know, whatever. But it's a, that's kind of a neat picture, you know, imagining how Jesus is putting these together. And, and the reason that they think it is because it is such a common thing for the rabbis, sages, whatever you want to call them, in a lot of the writings from Judaism, especially around this time, uh, trying to create groups that match uh, groups in the scripture and, you know, making those relationships. I don't know. It's kind of a neat thing. Uh, but anyway, here, here we go. Uh, what does he say? Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So here are the hypocrites again, and they're doing everything. Why, Samuel? I mean, it's an act. Yeah. They just want to put on a show. And uh, just to make it clear, we think of hypocrisy a little bit differently today. Well, these guys were probably practicing exactly what they were preaching. So it wasn't that kind of hypocrisy. They just were making a big show of it. Now, the reason this is important is because, first of all, you need to understand fasting in Israel in this time, there were public fasts. These were things that everybody participated in. So I want you to think about that, Samuel. If everybody is participating in the fasting is it really going to have much of an effect for you to try to, you know, put on a little show? It would seem kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. Yeah. You can look all disheveled or have your disfigured face or whatever you want to do. And everybody else is just thinking, uh, going through the same thing, pal. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what your issue is. Right. But that's, that's not what we're talking about here. Because that wouldn't make any sense. That would have just been, you know, again, wasting the show. These were private personal fasts, something people, they were doing them for a private reason. This could have been, I don't know, maybe it's related to repentance uh, over a thing or or maybe different prayers or requests, whatever it might be, but, but you were going through a private personal fast, and while you were doing it, you were making a big show. Anyway, it's just these are things we should keep between ourselves and God. And here's <laughs> further picture on fasts. What do you think of when we say fasting, Samuel? What are you going to not do? You're not going to eat food for a certain amount of time. Sometimes drink as well, but that is a little bit more conditional because you need drink more than you need food. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Fasts went far beyond that. And, and you know, it depended. 
it wasn't like they were all this way, but sometimes it even included fasting things like spousal relations, or it may have, uh, you may have been fasting something like bathing. Man, if that's the case, I've fasted a lot of times on some extended hiking <laughs> trips. <laughs> that's right. He was doing a bath fast. Yeah. So the point is, uh, well, and you know what else? This is one you're probably familiar with. You might even put on things like sackcloth and ashes, you're, depending on what you were going through. Now, those were usually associated with like mourning or, you know, something of that nature. And not not often was that done privately, obviously. But, I mean, you you know, you've heard of all these things. That's what they do. The point is you could end up looking pretty rough during a fast. And obviously, if it's public, everybody could. But Jesus's advice is, you know what? You just need to anoint your head and wash your face. It, and and this is similar to saying, hey, uh, why don't you take a bath and comb your hair and put on some deodorant, right? Why don't you make yourself look normal? And and in some sense, I don't know if you're you're portraying the opposite of what's really going on, or you're kind of hiding what's really going on, or whatever. But that that's really the focus. Jesus is talking about look. You, not only do you not make a show, why don't you go in the opposite direction and actually make it invisible? People won't even know you're doing this thing. Now, I don't know about you, Samuel, but for me, this raises a question. Samuel, are, are we supposed to be false? You know, act like somehow our lives are, are something different than what they are? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. That's that's not the point of what they're what what Jesus is talking about here. See, it's possible to have private things that are between you and God alone and to also be completely real when relating with others. Now, it's also possible there may be those times when whatever it is you're going through even though you want to keep it private, it's I mean, you know what? It's just difficult, too difficult. And you actually need friendship and sympathy and comfort, uh, peace even. And, and so that is not what's in view here. It's not like Jesus is saying, hey, when you could really use a shoulder to cry on, whatever you do, hide everything that you're going through. That's, that's not the point. This is just to say, look, as you're going through life and you're doing normal things, and and you want to do a fast for something that's important and relevant and all that, you know, you can hide that stuff. But at the same time, let's not get crazy and start, you know, just holding everything inside and not having any sort of personal relationship. That's just silly. You need the people who are close to you. Mm -hmm. It's okay if somebody sees that your heart is hurting as long as it wasn't because you were like putting on a show to get them to notice. Mm -hmm. There's some things you just can't hide. Yeah. You see things in people's eyes, uh, the way they stand, just everything, right? Mm -hmm. so anyway, so I, I thought that was an important point. You know, Jesus is, it's like he's, he's telling you to hide it, but, you know, we got to keep that in good balance. And then the, the last thing, and we've mentioned things like this before, fasting will result in a reward. It's only a question of from whom, right? If you seek your reward from men, well, you're going to get that immediately. But if you seek it from God, it is stored up 
for you with God himself. And that's not saying that somehow the reward in all of these stories is the, the, the real goal, not in any of these examples, but it's something to be considered in how it is that we walk out our faith. Mm-hmm. I love all this stuff that you said. It's it's almost like showing an example of how maybe putting on a show. I mean, there's lots of different reasons why someone could be doing that. Maybe for some examples, people are wanting to experience sympathy or empathy with what they're going through by making their situation more heightened or elevated in how they're bringing it to the forefront of you know interactions with one another and conversation compared to it's almost like a it's a harder challenge that requires more vulnerability and transparency but ultimately will result in a, a better good to to be like when someone asks how you're doing instead of just the casual complicit like doing fine how about you like taking the step especially if it's someone that you trust in relationship to be like you know to be honest like things haven't been super great like here's what i'm going through that kind of thing and then letting that be a conversation to open the way to explain why you're you might be fasting um in that particular hardship yeah that's really good choosing with whom and and when you are vulnerable Mm -hmm. instead of just broadcasting it you know, for the world. Yeah, that's good. Very good. Also have one little quick nugget before we move on. Um, my brain went to this cross-reference. It's almost like a pre-Messianic example that shows that what Jesus is saying here about how you're supposed to hold yourself with fasting is not a new idea. It goes mm-hmm. all the way back to the story of David, Second um, Samuel chapter 12. This is when David and the Bathsheba story and the prophet um, Nathan rebukes him and tells him that his child's going to die because of it. And specifically, the section, uh, let's see, verses 15 through like 23, David is specifically, like verse 16, uh, David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay on all night on the ground. And then fast forward, the child ends up dying. But then David's response is so cool. Um, let's see, verse 20, when he found out, it says, so David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he came into his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and ate like almost three of those character or those like characteristics that Jesus described David did right there, which is really cool. Yeah, it's yeah, that is a great reference. I love that. Yeah, David is an amazing character. I mean, you know, we see some bad stuff too, but wow. As long as he thought there was hope that God might do something for the child, he was faithful. And then once he realized it was really over, let's get cleaned up, worship and eat. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. All right. So, uh, So he makes it through fasting. And remember, on each of these, we're talking about God sees in secret. He's going to deliver some sort of reward, that kind of thing. Well, th- this next section uh, continues that thought. So I'm going to go ahead and read. There's a little bit from Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34, because it's very short. I'm going to go ahead and read it 
And then I'll also read something from Matthew. So Luke says this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, Matthew says very similar things, but his is a lot longer, and you may be surprised at how much I include in a single block here, but it's important that we see all this together. So this is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, that's a lot. But Jesus had just laid out three three scenarios, and um, you know we've said things like this before. That's not to be taken as an exhaustive list. It's just three three scenarios, situations, things to do with reward. Okay. Now the reward wasn't monetary. It's it's more like I don't know, emotional or psychological or something like that, versus what we would probably just call spiritual, heavenly, that kind of thing. Now this idea is carried forward into this section. So in that sense, it's a cool segue. But Jesus is also turning the topic toward actual resources or money or material things or whatever. Now, what's weird, I told you I I did kind of a large section. We included things about treasure and eyes and lamps and masters and money. And, you know, when you're just kind of reading over it, it sounds like maybe we're just switching topics but we're not. This is all one continuing topic about treasure, wealth, and resources. And we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll show you. So the first thing he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Well, whatever you can gather, actual physical resources, and Samuel, these could be things like money or property, assets of any kind, who knows. Can they go with you into the next life? No, they can't. Yeah. What's the famous saying? Can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Now, while you are here with this, you know, treasure, even then it's subject to destruction and decay and theft. It's certainly, even if you're gone and you leave it to your kids, or it's not going to last many generations, <laughs> if even one, you know, for those that, that, that it gets left behind four or two or whatever. So just don't bother. It's it's not worth laying it up because it's it's not going to serve you in the long run. So instead, what does it say? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the idea here is that whatever you store up 
with God, well, that actually will be yours in the next life. And and in a sense, you, you can even imagine how that new life or that eternal life is, in a sense, the reward. But we won't dig too deep into that. The point is, there's no destruction. There's no decay. There's no theft. And so, what did you say that saying was, Samuel? Can't take it with you. And apparently, you You can. can. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at least sort of, right? And it will last forever. And so, kind of like the woman at the well, hey, where is that water? Give me some of that. Well, where is this treasure? How do I get me some of that? Well, Luke... We've been reading all about it, of course, but Luke offers some very uh, explicit and 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 laser-focused insight. He simply says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And I don't know, if you're anything like me, you grew up, you lived in America, that, that, you know, there's a little bit of a gut punch going on there. Yeah. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. It's tough. Simple but true. Do you know what would the first century phrase sell your possessions contextually mean to that audience like i mean give to the needy seems pretty straightforward but i feel like selling your possessions in their context feels different or would feel different than where we are now in the present time yeah i i don't think i can answer that question samuel i i mean obviously it's going to look different but i i if i understand you i think what you're getting at is well you know, I mean, you probably had a house there in Israel. I mean, were you supposed to sell that? I mean, if you had animals, were you just supposed to sell them all? It, right? Oh, what if you had land, family land? It was allotted to you as part of the <laughs> the promise and all that. Are you supposed to sell it? I, you know, I mean, there's got to be a limit. There has to be. We'll We'll sort of talk about how far to push these things in a minute, but... I, I think if, if if we could maybe just bring it into modern language, we might say, look, if you can live a very modest life and learn to live without any of the extravagances and, and you know, c- could you have a car every, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years, a new car? Or do you got to have one every three years? Things of that nature. I mean, somewhere in this, there's got to be a, a line where you go, well, look, uh, I'm living way too comfortable. I know it's what everybody in America is doing, but I, you know what? I could do with a lot less. Mm-hmm. And you choose to. I, I think that's at, at least the beginning of the picture of what we're talking about here. But I don't know. I don't know how far Jesus is is uh, is really pushing it. So it's a good question. Yeah, it's a good one to wrestle with. Yeah. Yeah. But I do know this. This next thing he says, that, oh, Samuel, I, I've been waiting for this one for a while because it's so good. This part about for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's weird sounding phrasing. Everything about that's just kind of strange. And you, you hear it and you think you know what it means. And yet somehow, I don't know. Let's do this. I'm going to say it this way. Your heart is drawn to your treasure. And now I feel like we need to mention this. Samuel, when we say our heart, modern day, man, what are we talking about? We point to our chest and it's where our... Uh, is it like you're... I don't know. I feel like I'm going to get this wrong. Like, don't they 
some people equate it to your emotions, how you feel. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you feel in your heart, feelings, emotions, that kind of thing. But in scripture, it's important that we understand when they say the heart, they're talking about the intellect and the will, not your emotions. But your heart is drawn to your treasure. And then you might even say, maybe we can generalize it a different way, man, in general, is going to focus on his wealth, whatever and wherever that might be. So this is where it gets kind of strange. Our choices and our actions, they're all shaped by the things that we cherish, the things that we nurture the most. And so this part's kind of easy. If you cherish worldly things over heavenly things, well, that's exactly where all of your thoughts and all of your desires are going to focus. But it's a strange kind of relationship because, Samuel, can you choose what you want to cherish and nurture? Yes, and it depends. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, but there are some things where you just can't help yourself. You know, like like pizza. Everybody can relate to that. (laughs) Everybody cherishes and nourishes or uh, nourishes, (laughs) nurtures pizza. Because why wouldn't they? It's awesome. But there are things that you can choose, and you choose them in your heart or by your heart or something like that. But what's amazing about it is that when you act on that choice, somehow that ends up drawing your heart along, deeper into it. Now, I don't know, some people might be thinking, well, it sounds like a spiritual perpetual motion machine, right? No, no, it's not. I I get it, but it's more like, The image I think of is more like a snowball rolling down a hill. You start with a small thing. You choose it. But then as you continue to to choose it and and, uh, cherish it, raise it up, whatever, it's going to be rolling downhill and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, Jesus is the one saying this. And and the thing is, I have personally experienced it. It, it may seem contradictory to some if, if you're listening and you haven't experienced it yourself, but it's not. And I, the, the most fruitful ground that I can think of for people to experience this is going to be with like husbands or wives, children, just families in general. So many opportunities to experience this thing. But here's an example. You choose, this, this, is, a, this is a great example. Husbands and wives, you get married, you, you know, you're making your covenant, you're doing a thing, whatever, and you really honestly choose, I am going to love this person. And an amazing thing happens because you invest your time and your effort and your energy into this person. All of a sudden, you find yourself drawn more to that person and and to loving them and et cetera, et cetera, right? It's it's a weird thing and a cool thing. Uh, But when it says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also, that's what we're, that's what he's describing there. It's a cool picture. Yeah. All right. So we get that. And then he, he does this thing. Right, it's like, hey, you know, don't store up treasures on earth. Do them in heaven, where your treasure is, your heart will be. But then he says that thing about the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, just doesn't that sound like he's switching topics, Samuel? Squirrel. 
<laughs> exactly. It's like, well, why did why did you say that? You know, what's coming next? Well, he's not swipping, switching topics. And here's what's going on. Jesus is leveraging a common Hebrew idiom. The idea is that you, you have a good or a healthy eye, and this is describing someone who is lavish or generous or selfless. Mm-hmm. And and the point is, there is light, and and they see clearly. And you might even say that they 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 see goodness and abundance, or or they expect it, or they trust it. And then, of course, the opposite, the evil eye or the bad eye, it's describing someone who is stingy or greedy or selfish. Mm-hmm. And so, in that case, you're saying that there is darkness that they do not see. And of course, their expectation is for badness and lack, that kind of thing. Now, if you think I'm crazy, I'm going to show you that this is this is real. We're going to go back to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 6, but Samuel, I'm going to have you read it twice, once out of the ESV and once out of the King James. So read in just like the first half, you'll know what I'm talking about. Proverbs 23, 6, read from the ESV. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Okay, so a man who is stingy. Now listen to the way the King James says that very same thing. I'm going to do it in my King James accent too. Okay, do that. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Yeah, so a man who is stingy is a man that has an evil eye. Now, we went to two different translations to show you that because one of them is translating it like more like word for word, and the other one recognized that there was a, a, a Hebrew idiom behind it and decided that it was better to go ahead and give, you know, modern lingo to it so that we would know what they meant. Because if we read, he has an evil eye, well, we could think the wrong thing. So that's what we're seeing here. So the eye is a lamp, right? That, that whole little story we're not talking about eyes and lamps. We're talking about generosity and stinginess and, and that kind of thing, right? So we're still talking about rewards and treasures and all of that. So just like that snowball rolling down the hill, the darkness is going to keep getting bigger and bigger, or I guess we should say darker and darker. And the same is true for the light. It's going to get lighter and lighter. So this little side story that felt like squirrel, it's not. It's it's still all about resources and wealth and reward. But now that I've said that, what's the next thing he says, Samuel? He talks about the competition between two masters. Yeah. Again, doesn't it feel like we... Say it again, Samuel. Squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. First of all, this whole... this. Um, I don't know what you call it, like principle or philosophy or whatever. No one can serve two masters. This actually has a different name, at least down in the South. This is also known as, you can't ride two horses with one butt. (laughs) I'm just saying. Nice. So it's known by different names, but here's the thing. Samuel, I would just like you to imagine, I don't know, you've fallen on hard times, and you've had to sell yourself into slavery, and there was a little bit of a bidding war, and a couple of guys ganged up, you know, put their resources together, but now you have two masters. How's that going to work out for you, Samuel? 
I'm probably going to feel like I'm literally being split in half. Exactly. Exactly. It's absurd when you think of it that way. You can't serve both. What are you going to do? You're going to get a command from one and a command from the other. And what are you going to do? You got to, somewhere you got to choose. So what are you doing? You're going to prefer one, at least in the beginning. And as this continues, eventually, you know what? You may come to despise the other. And so this, this, is, this is just like when we're talking about cherishing something. See, when you cherish a thing and your heart follows then everything else is going to feel like some sort of interruption or irritant or it's like it's in competition or it's a bother or something. Now, this isn't to say we can't cherish more than one thing, but it's possible to attempt to cherish incompatible things. And so wealth in this world, okay, it's not inherently bad, but we need to be vigilant against cherishing it because Ultimately, that's going to lead to separating you from God. Heavenly reward has to be prioritized over earthly reward. And it doesn't matter what the earthly reward is, uh, emotional, psychological, monetary, material, whatever, doesn't matter. So again, we put that whole block together because it was all about one topic, and hopefully we've connected the dots for you there, you can see it. Yeah, I can... I can see why you were so excited leading into this section. So good. So convicting. I mean, my mind is just reeling over this aspect about where my treasure is in my own life and how I'm pursuing that. And I think it's awesome how, like, Jesus paints both sides, like the spiritual and the earthly, to show that this aspect is a very human thing. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because I notice just in my observations of like secular society, there's like a growing subset of people who are pursuing these very healthy disciplines. Like people are showcasing like what happens to people's mood and their, their overall lifestyle when they're getting up early in the morning and they're doing, whether it's like general meditation or note taking, journaling, whatever. But it, it seems to be like a growing trend that people are realizing the more I put the work in, the more like it eventually catches up into like how I'm feeling about this thing or with my life in general. And Jesus is like taking that concept to say like, okay, this is true across the board, but let's apply it to the things that actually matter on a spiritual basis, which yeah. I think is so cool. Um, yeah. The things that really matter. And before we move on, I know that some people might feel a little wonky whenever they hear us say all heavenly reward must be prioritized over earthly reward. The The phrase yeah. heavenly reward might feel a little vague to some people. Are we supposed to take that phrase and just think about like a new resurrected true life in the kingdom in the world to come? Or are there other aspects to it that are mysterious that we don't know yet? Like what, what, how can we grab a hold of what heavenly reward looks like? Cause I know you said like God is storing it up for us. Like we're going to get it. It's eternal. But can, can we like, is it something that's tangible that we can actually describe? Yeah, that is, uh, boy, you are reaching into a debate, Samuel. Um, Here's the thing. You asked, is some of it mysterious? Simple answer, yes. There's there's a 
some aspect of this we don't really understand what these rewards may be or look like or whatever. There are others who they like to take it very, very literally, and they think, I am I am going to get a physical crown, and I am going to get jewels in my crown, and if I get more rewards than you, I'm going to have more jewels in my crown than you, or my crown's going to be taller or something, you know, whatever, more goldy, I don't know, something. Now, that doesn't really appeal to me. I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong. I would be much quicker to say I don't know than to say anybody's wrong. I think, though, going back to what we said before, at least sort of hinted at, the healthiest way to view this reward is to say, look, the kingdom is the reward. Resurrection, eternal life, that is the reward. Coming through the judgment, finding out your name is in the book of life, that's your reward. So rather than rather than thinking of it as accumulating some sort of tangible stuff that God's just keeping in his own little personal Samuel pile, it would be much, much better to think of it as, no, you're, you are proving yourself to be loyal and faithful. You, you get the team God shirt, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and you're, you're going to get to participate in the real promises, the real uh, I guess I could say rewards. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that sounded like I was sidestepping. I wasn't meaning to, but it really is a. It's a, it's. There's a lot of debate about it, and and I just think that we don't know enough. And so the the safest, healthiest place is just talking about the things that we do have a deeper understanding of. Yeah, and maybe we should. I know this is kind of spoiling it a little bit for down the road, but maybe we should take some words of Rabbi Jesus when he was telling his um, disciples, why are you looking up towards the heavens? Like, keep your eye, like, here on earth on what needs to be done. You know, like, let yeah. let the reward come when it's time for that. Like, let your focus be on what you can do here now. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I don't think people like it so much when I use words like this, but another way that I would say it that I, I actually think is very, very accurate is to say what we're actually doing is accruing merit with god now trigger word i'm i get it i'm yeah i know i'm not gonna accrue enough merit all by myself to earn eternal life i know that i'm not like you know delusional (laughs) but I, i think that that is an appropriate picture and that's god's grace is when he takes that overflowing overabundant merit that jesus earned with the Father, and applies it to me where I fall short. So, I don't know. That's another picture, and we'll see what people think of that one, how many letters we get. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Nothing to see here. Uh, Or I guess it's nothing to hear here. It's a podcast, right? Uh, Okay, so the next bit, see, we just gone through... You know, the, the, the prayer and the fasting and, and laying up treasures in heaven and that whole bit. And now he's going to, I don't know, it's kind of like he's upping the ante yet again. Now, in this case, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, long section. Uh, and it's also Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. And I think in this particular case, I'm going to read from Luke. I've been focusing a lot on Matthew, and I might grab, you know, a verse from him just for the sake of, of 
a little different wording, but we're going to go ahead and read from Luke. So here's what it says. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If, then, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 32 just kills me. That just, I don't know why, it makes me want to cry every time I read Mm. it. Now, verse 34 from Matthew, though, Matthew 6, is also interesting. I just want to read it real quick. He ends it this way. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay. Whew. For us, that was a really, really big section. Yeah. And there's a lot going on here. But what are you going to do? Break that into pieces? So here we go. So Jesus, he lays out all the groundwork here for seeking treasure in heaven, right? The, the, what are the ideas? Don't cherish things on earth. Uh, you know, cherish things. But he, he goes even further. Your mind and thoughts, well, they may be focused on very basic things like food and clothing. Now, that's not going to mean near as much to normal modern Americans. Very few people worrying about food and clothing in America, even when they're considered poor. But, oh my gosh, back in Israel in the first century, worrying about things like food and clothing for the day, that was a big deal. Very common. And that, and this is going to sound harsh when when you think about people who are really struggling, but in a sense, it's like cherishing your basic needs. And in that sense, it's like serving money or wealth or reward or whatever you want to call it. You're spending your time worrying about those things instead of serving God. And Jesus is saying, hey, you need to prioritize or cherish the kingdom and his righteousness even over your most basic needs. And and in a way, that's like saying, you know what? Don't lose sight of things like generosity and hospitality, even when 
it's kind of a struggle for you to make it on your own. But wow, this is a crazy call, right? But then he says, why? Because God will take care of those basic needs. If you prioritize properly all of these things, and again, that, that we're talking about food and clothing, basic needs, all these things will be added to you. And besides, this whole idea of worrying and hand-wringing, this is kind of like the evil eye. Um, it, 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 it accomplishes nothing, absolutely nothing. It's a complete waste of time, complete waste of energy. But Samuel, is this a formula? Can you say, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to prioritize his kingdom and his righteousness, and guess what? Food and clothing are just going to show up. Sounds nice, but... I don't think that's the way life and the world works. Right. Yeah. So we need to not be too simple-minded about what Jesus is saying here. Understand the arguments that he's making are, uh, what did we call that, Samuel? Uh, what's that Jewish phrase? Kolvacomer? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I got that wrong, don't, you know, shoot me, whatever. You get the idea. But it's from the light to the heavy, right? And it depends on the idea that whatever it is you say first actually has to be true, recognizably true, so that the thing that you say second, it, you actually feel the weight of it, right? So so if God takes care of birds and God takes care of flowers, if those things are true, and of course, first century Israel, this is going to be a no-brainer, of course, that's how that works, then how much more will he take care of you? Well, because the first things are true, the second thing is also true, or even more so, right? And what's interesting, Jesus calls those who don't believe this or live like they believe it, they are men of little faith. Ouch. Yeah. And I, this sounds, I mean, this is, this is a big ask, right? This is a lot. But again, I, I want to go back and talk about this just a little bit more. Samuel, Having said this, all this stuff, it's like, hey, you don't have to worry about your basic needs. You know what? You just focus on his kingdom and his righteousness. So Samuel, can we just, you know, live irresponsibly? I don't think that's the right word. I think God wants us to be radical at times, to take risks, but I don't think he's promoting irresponsibility. Yeah. Should you just never see to it that you're doing anything to make sure that you have your daily food or clothing? No, of course not. It's, it's, it's the idea of priorities. And, and just, by the way, now their example, how did he say it? Do the birds do what? They neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses or barns, and yet God feeds them. But Samuel, seriously, are birds just kind of lazy and around? Just living this, you know, crazy, carefree life, not really doing anything. No, they put in some work. They're busy all the time. But God provides so that what they put their, well, I was going to say their hand, whatever. Their His t- talon. Ta- their talons. <laughs> what they put their talons to actually produces fruit, Right. No, and it's the same way uh, with uh, lilies. I mean, you know, it's different because you don't actually see them working, right? But um, their lives aren't perfect. I mean, goodness, they could they could start to grow up and then there's a drought and they're, you know, they like die or whatever. So no, the idea is we, we aren't to be irresponsible 
It's just that we don't need to live in this world of worry and anxiousness. We need to do our part and at the same time, trust that God is doing his. Here's a good verse. It's, I, I hope, will further explain what we're talking about. Samuel, read this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Yeah, and that's the important part. Be dependent on no one. If you're taking what Jesus is saying up here, don't worry about this. Well, if you're not taking care of your own affairs, if you, if you become dependent on others, okay, now you've missed the point. That's not where we're headed. Here's another one, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Read that one, Samuel. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. So again, all of these things that we're talking about, we we have to find that proper balance, that proper understanding that says, look, Jesus isn't telling you to just wake up in the morning and never bother taking care of daily needs. But it's about prioritization, not worrying, not being anxious, etc., etc., also, uh, I remember we not long ago, we talked about living like John the Baptist. He wasn't asking his followers to be like him. He instructed others to pursue their occupations honestly and to, to give. Um, we know about the occupations of many all throughout our New Testament scriptures. And Samuel, Jesus himself, did he have an occupation? Uh, he's a carpenter. Yeah, yeah. So... We again I'm just I'm harping on this cuz I want to try to keep it in balance. We have to recognize that there are things that are they're just in God's hands. We for our part need to be responsible and diligent but at the same time understand that the true source of provision is God. And if we know that well then you can begin to see and understand the advantage of seeking first his kingdom, and his righteousness. Because in some sense, it's like plugging into the true source. And understandably, Samuel, I I mean, I'm sure this was true for some among Israel as well, but outside of Israel, the Gentiles, well, obviously, what, what else would they do? They're frantically pursuing material and financial safety. Because why wouldn't you? I mean, that that's like... I'm alive. I need to, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to do. But the point in all of this is that God knows what you need. And so you can trust him. And I have no idea why, but this reminds me of, uh, you remember back in the book of Daniel, the three young guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Mm-hmm. I use those names because that's what everybody recognizes. But could we just take a moment and say, you know what? They were Jews. And their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we need to learn to call them by their names, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, the point is, you remember what they said? They were going to be thrown into the furnace, and how did they respond to the king? Any any recollection? I mean, I know the outcome, but I can't think of specifically what they said. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. I'd be stuck too. They said, go ahead, throw us into the fire, because our God will save us. 
Oh, and by the way, if he doesn't, doesn't matter. We're still going to serve him anyway. And that is so bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And But in a sense, that, that image, I bring that forward and I go, you know what? My God's going to provide all my basic needs. But you know what? If he doesn't, I'm going to serve him anyway. Because I don't see the big picture. I don't understand what he's working out in the whole big story. Again, it's not formula. But it's trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's reason behind when things don't work the way you think the formula things ought to work. Anyway, a little Daniel history for you there. Um, uh, also, this thing about seeking first the kingdom. Uh, okay, all along, Sam, the whole Sermon on the Mount, why? Why has Jesus been teaching us about how it is that our righteousness can exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Because he started out with his ministry saying, repent because the kingdom is at hand. So he's wanting people to get to experience the kingdom. Yeah, if your righteousness doesn't, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom. And so he's teaching us how how to make that happen. Seeking the kingdom is doing everything that Jesus has been teaching us in this Sermon on the Mount so far and in you know the bits that are still to come. Similarly, seeking first his righteousness. Okay, funny thing is, seek first his righteousness. Well, this is the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And it's the righteousness of God. Now, I, I don't want to confuse people. The righteousness of God is kind of, it, there, there's sort of two ways to take it. One way is, it's when God is, I don't know how else to say this, faithful to himself, true to himself, faithful to be who he says he is. That is the righteousness of God. But then, as he's given us instruction in the scriptures, through Torah, etc., Okay, that's his way of helping us relate to and, and try to take on that righteousness of God. So it's his righteous standard, if you will. Anyway, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, we have to pursue it in a way that, that it's like it internalizes it or it, it becomes a part of us or we become part of it. We become one with that, that, that goodness, right? And, and that's our work, if you call it that, here and now. God's going to complete the work, ultimately, in our resurrected bodies with the fulfillment of the new covenant. That's when the Torah is written on our hearts and on our minds. Hooray, that's going to be an awesome time. But now, that's a thing that we have to work out. So seeking first his kingdom, seeking first his righteousness, that's what this is all about. And all of these things are just instructions. Mm. Paul, this is so good. Oh, man. I I know we're getting close to the end here, so I want to keep my responses as concise as possible, but I feel like maybe another way to summarize this section on how you taught it and how Jesus is teaching it is that this, because I think before we moved into this section, I think it was the perfect segue because whenever... I'm thinking about if I was an audience member and I was hearing this rabbi talk about my treasure and that being kind of up in jeopardy with this challenge of holding it more loosely than at least your earthly, your temporal treasures 
um, so that you can prioritize and promote the spiritual ones, that would have created anxiety in my being. Like I, if I would have heard that and I was wrestling with this aspect of treasures, yeah, like I would have immediately started feeling anxious. Like, well, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make ends meet? So like props to Jesus right. for like anticipating that and like giving this illustration that fits it, like fits the narrative so perfectly. Uh, but back to my, yeah. the, my main point, I feel like a good summary of, of this section is to say, Jesus is trying to get us to see that if we are so consumed by the most basic aspects of human life, um, that it, that it, takes up all of our mental and emotional space that that's the first part of the illustration then we we we're not even capable of doing the second part that he lays out in the in the final part of the illustration which is like seeking first the kingdom his righteousness those things being added to you Jesus is trying to say like there there are so much more like weighty and bigger things to God's story than you like being hung up on the things that like I embedded within my own created world to take care of you and like everything else that I made. Um, so I think that's a humbling reminder, especially in today's world where so many people like for good reason, there are a lot of people who are struggling to make ends meet, but just thinking about what society and life and reality could be for so many people, if they could like begin to let that go like how much more good could be promoted in the world around us if yeah. that got let go in people's lives. Um, oh, yeah, and the last thing about um, this responsibility aspect about not, like, you can do this, but not in a way that's irresponsible. Like, again, let's go all the way back to Genesis 1 and the creation story. Like, after God made humanity, this is Genesis 1, uh, let's see, uh, 28, after he blessed them, he said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea, and etc. And the Jewish yeah. mindset, the interpretation of that is being a steward of God's creation. But I, I, I don't think in the mind of rabbis, I, I need to have more conversations with them, God willing, in the future. But I wonder if some aspect in Jewish thought, they they look inwardly within themselves in terms of that stewardship to say, like, not only am I going to be a good steward to the things God created that are outside of me, I am also going to be a good steward to myself because I also am a created being, and that requires yeah. me being responsible and, like, letting the functionality of how God created me actually work to its proper end. Yeah. <laughs> That is so good. I am with you on every bit of that. And, and it, what keeps reverberating in my head while you were talking, especially during the first part of what you were saying, I, I just, when you read these things and you, 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 you really try to understand what's being said and in what way you're being instructed and guided, how can you not walk away with this sense of just how merciful and compassionate and loving this God is for the way he continues to work with us, the way, and especially the way he did through Jesus, Messiah. And, and again, it's that phrase from Luke, it is your father's good pleasure mm. to give you 
the kingdom. It's what he wants for each of us so badly. And all we got to do is, you know, just could, could you just give just a little effort, you know, just, just give it a go. <laughs> He'll make up the difference, yeah. right? And uh, it's just, I don't know. This is good stuff. Yeah, this was a bombshell episode. So good. Well, we've made it through two whole chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. We only got one to go. Oh. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> More goodness to come. Yes. Now, I'm actually going to do my uh, closing a little bit differently this week since we're running a little bit out of time rather than my scripted spiel. Um, we're living in a world of analytics where we're having to fight algorithms on podcasting platforms. One of the best ways that this content, this message that we're putting time and effort and work into can reach more people is if our podcast is being rated and reviewed regularly. So if you have time and you know how to navigate your podcasting app, it would significantly help this content reach more people if you could click, you know, five stars or four stars, whatever you think, or send a comment in the rating portion saying like what your favorite episode is or why this content is inspiring to you to continue to listen each week. It would help us out a lot, and we really encourage you to take the time to do that. Yeah, and we apologize in advance that it's limited to only five stars. (laughs) (laughs) There needs to be a recommendation for all the podcasting platforms. Unlimited stars. That's right. Yeah. Well, Samuel, at least in terms of scripture text, etc., I think we're done. Okie dokie. And until next time, we pray and hope that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again next week.